Welcome to the Fix Your Sciatica podcast, where we meet with experts and clients and discuss how to manage your sciatica and low back pain without the use of medications or surgery. I'm your host, Dr. Ashley Mack, and I'm a physical therapist as well as the founder of iFixYourSciatica.com, a go-to resource for pain management. So let's talk about dry needling. What is it? How can it be helpful? And why? Is there so much misinformation about it? And today's guest, I have Dr. Dustin Buck, who is a physical therapist, but also the head of uh, a major education company that actually educates other physical therapists on the various different aspects of manual therapy. But I got connected with Dr. Buck and was really interested in his knowledge about dry needling. And so he was kind enough to share his knowledge for today. So we can share that with you so that you know what to look for and some key action steps when it looks for finding a practitioner and how you can actually take another step further in your sciatica pain relief. So Dr. Buck, thank you so much for being on today's episode. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. The, and the pleasure is all mine. I'm, I'm really glad that you are taking the time out of your day. I know that we were experiencing some technical difficulties earlier this week, and that was a challenge in itself. And so let's get right into it. Let's talk about you and your experience. How did you get to where you're at today, just so that the listeners can get to know you a little bit better? Yeah, well, I, um, I graduated physical therapy school back in 2010, so been a while now. Um, and then I did a manual therapy fellowship in uh, 2015, I believe it was. And, and then after that, I, I finished my OCS, orthopedic certification. And um, yeah, I just kind of grew from the start of that manual therapy fellowship. I had only barely heard about dry needling when I was in physical therapy school. And and so I, that was just something on the fringe as far as I was concerned at that time. And uh, it wasn't until later that I was like, oh, this is, this is pretty cool. I can uh, actually get into where the pain is. Um, and so that's what really attracted me at, at first was just that I could actually get in there uh, to where a patient was having pain and, and have an effect internally. So, yeah, that's kind of where that blossomed from. And then... Uh, during that manual therapy fellowship, I had a chance to help out with some of their classes and, and decided, yeah, I'd, I'd like to kind of do this um, on my own and, and uh, develop my own curriculum and try to bring things together that uh, I think right now are just kind of pretty separated by different occupations as far as needling goes. Yeah, what a... Uh... What a cool journey you've been through. I think um, the big principle that I've noticed amongst uh, people who have their, uh, say, certification in manual therapy, like focus on manual therapy and gone through the manual, fel uh, manual therapy fellowship was this thought process of diagnosis and treatment. And what I really appreciated about the manual therapy aspect was being able to say, let me collect this necessary information, come up with a specific hypothesis or a decision, and then let me go ahead and test it. And then from there, based on those results, we can actually conclude or not conclude what the issues are. And so to me, from my end, it sounded like it was more of a dynamic aspect of being able to say, okay, you have these tools, but also how do you use these tools? And dry needling itself is a tool and a modality within itself. And I've discussed this over the past couple episodes where it is important for us to work with practitioners who have... Uh, 
wide knowledge of the various different tools that are out there, but it's also important for them to understand when it is the right time, the right place to actually use these tools. So rather than having a hammer and thinking everything is a nail, being able to look in your toolbox and use a specific tool that's necessary for the, the problem based on the information that you're getting. And so let's talk about dry needling itself. A lot of people think, is it acupuncture? What is it? Like, if you could describe to us what dry needling is and how is it different from acupuncture? Well, it's a, it's a pretty nuanced sort of answer and it kind of depends on, on who you talk to. But, um, I mean, the basics of it are, yeah, you're using that thin siliform needle to uh, penetrate the skin and have an effect on the underlying tissues below that. Um, where things, you know, differ as far as practitioner background uh, and such is, is how we define what dry needling is. Uh, for some, it's just all about the, um, the muscle tissue. Uh, trigger points have been something that the rehab world has focused on for a long time. And, um, and, and so that's kind of where physical therapists have kind of anchored themselves in to some degree uh, and sometimes maybe a little bit too much in, into that area of trigger points. Uh, that is an important part of the pain picture. Uh, but there's certainly other areas where, uh, we can treat that, that don't involve, uh, using a trigger point sort of thing. And then you got the acupuncture, which depending on your background, uh, could mean practicing it in a tr traditional Chinese medicine sort of way. And, but then medical doctors do it too. And they don't treat with that, uh, approach of, um, Chinese medicine. And so, and then you have a lot of people that are kind of in between because even acupuncturists that are trained in a Chinese medicine sort of uh, background, they learn anatomy, they um, learn about circulatory processes, but they don't focus on it as much as your allied healthcare profession. So you've got kind of this mixed bag of, you know, people on one hand saying, this is all acupuncture and then and then other people on the other hand saying well no this is dry needling it's completely separate from acupuncture but they're really i mean the real truth of it is it's all and a lot of it is overlapping um from my standpoint what i think is an accurate answer the most accurate answer when it comes to this question is the dry needling and well well no i'll take a step back even further than that the main reason that we have to have it be different between these professions is, as physical therapists in particular, we can't call it acupuncture. They have control over that word. But that word only means needle insertion. And so other countries, Great Britain, Australia, uh, probably many others, a physiotherapist can call it acupuncture. They just call it medical acupuncture. So in the States, though, we have to play this sort of dance of, of legality. And so we can only draw, call it dry needling. Fine, whatever. Um, I'm, I'm fine with that. But, um, but there's certainly overlap between what we're doing and what the acupuncturists are doing. But to come back to my, uh, my statement about you know, how I would define the difference is and when I talk to patients about it, this is what I say. I I say what 
What I'm going to be doing is using the same needles, put them into your body according to the, the body's anatomy and based off of scientific theories and approaches. I'm going to be talking to you about blood flow and the body's pain-killing systems, endorphins, things that can be tested scientifically, whereas somebody trained as a purist in the acupuncture Chinese medicine approach is going to be talking to you about liver yi, yang, uh, qi, meridians, and uh, making a diagnosis based off of a complex set of uh, Eastern medicine-based concepts. So that's to me, the primary difference. And then when it comes down to the real nitty gritty of what does that mean as far as what the treatment looks like? To me, it's about, for me in a dry, as a dry needling musculoskeletal practitioner, I, I, I treat only neuromusculoskeletal conditions, pain, stiffness. And, and I put those needles into the usually more localized based off of where the symptoms are. And then maybe some needles uh, that correspond to nerve distributions. Um, whereas an acupuncturist trained in the Chinese medicine approach might put in 30 needles um, in all over the body based off of their Chinese meridian system. So that, that does help patients. I don't give them this much information, but I will tell patients that last part, uh, you know, about the science part of it versus Chinese medicine approach and then where the needles go but the, there's a lot of overlap uh, in there, too. So I hope that that helps. There was a lot of information, but uh, it is a very nuanced sort of thing. We are going to take a quick break to tell you about our awesome new program called the Sciatica Protocol. If you don't have the time to see a professional but are tired of trying to figure out this recovery on your own, then the Sciatica Protocol is for you. Harness the power of a knowledgeable physical therapist through your phone. It takes no more than seven minutes per day, and it is designed to help you recover as quickly as possible. It is simple to start, and all you need to do is log into ifixyoursciatica.com forward slash the dash sciatica dash protocol and fill out the nine question quiz to begin. The link for the program is in today's show notes. Yeah, I actually, it's um, very eye-opening. I actually had the opportunity to get trained in dry needling um, back in 2016 uh, in New Jersey. And then, interestingly enough, the moment I got certified a few months later, I uh, dry needling was actually um, deemed uh, not part of the physical therapist scope of practice in New Jersey. And so that lasted yeah. about, I think it was probably like two to three years. I think New Jersey just granted physical therapists to add that to their scope of practice. I think as of maybe 2021, which I think is a, it's a fantastic modality um, to boil it down. Like, correct me if I'm wrong, but if we were to say like, what is, what is dry, dry needling's uh, brand line is that, and I wrote it here, but it was this aspect of the use of needles to stimulate a change in tissue. Um, and it, w- would you would you agree with that? Like, what are your thoughts on that statement? Just so that I, I want to make sure I summed it up correctly. Well, yeah, I mean, boiling it down to that, as, as long as uh, cool. tissue in this case could mean, you know, all different types of tissue. And mm-hmm. that would involve all the chemical processes with it as well blood flow and stuff yeah yeah then yes cool i would agree with that so let's talk a little bit more about the 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 scientific back end of uh or the theories behind um 
why dry needling is effective. You briefly talked about blood flow and the pain killing systems. Could you elaborate a little bit more on that? Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, there, there has been demonstrated vasodilation or, or the, you know, the, um, the, um, capillaries and, and such open up and, and, uh, there's improved blood flow locally to, to an area that has the needle punctured in there. And that's one of the theories behind how it works. Uh, there's also, um, many effects as far as different hormones and chemicals. So endorphins and, and opioids and bodies and kephalin system that they get activated through different pathways. And it's very complex and, and, you know, and a lot of it theoretical, really, uh, still it's been tested in, um, you know, in a laboratory with rats, but, but not so much humans just because of the issues you have with, um, carrying out that sort of research. Um, so there's those sorts of things. And then another effect, uh, which the acupuncturists have been taking advantage of, but, uh, and physical therapists less so is, is the idea of needle rotation. So twisting the needle, um, to elicit a, um, a, uh, it's called mechanotransduction, mechanotransduction, where the, uh, tissues are actually winding around the needle. And through that, you get further secretion of an activation of these pain killing pathways, as well as, um, remodeling of tissue. And so it can be very helpful too for, say, scar tissue, uh, problems that we want to try to help, um, alleviate pain and or, um, decrease the, some of those lumps and stuff that we get after surgeries and, and such due to all the scar tissue collagen lay down. You can help remodel tissue through that mechanism. So a whole host of, of things potentially going on with uh, the effects of, of dry needling. Yeah. So in essence, we have some mechanical changes. So what you're mm -hmm. putting in actually can actually result in improved uh, blood flow, which improved blood flow to any sort of area is actually going to help promote healing. But also in say, in some cases, um, if an area is actually deprived of oxygen, it can actually not function very well. So that's where we're looking at making sure that yep. there's enough oxygen, blood, nutrients in that air so it can function a little bit better. And then we have the chemical changes in which we're looking at the hormone release, the, uh, endorphins opioids and every, everything like that and then the remodeling i think that's huge a lot of people um look at this aspect of say scar tissue and every practitioner has a opinion of their own when it comes to the use of like say soft tissue work like massage and how that can break up scar tissue it's a um, yeah. and then also it's a little different when you're using dry kneeling because you can actually go into the tissue itself and have that potential right. for remodeling and so Let's talk about the the needle itself. It's a it's a filament. It's very very small. And when I was getting trained for dry needling, um, I thought it was really interesting because they said that the needle itself it wasn't like an IV where it would tear tissue. It would actually be a the needle that would actually pass through the cell. So it's really more of kind of like a parting of the Red Sea versus like ripping open uh, <laughs> ripping open a tissue, which doesn't sound very pleasant. Um, but there's a lot of different techniques that people can use. And you used, you talked about this concept of uh, mechanical transduction. When someone gets a dry needling um, treatment, um, 
is it somewhere sometimes is it where the practitioner puts the needle in and leaves it there and goes away tell us a little bit more about what that application uh technique is like what the experience is like what people can expect um when it comes to needling well uh to go back to to what we talked about before there's a wide range of of how people are trained in it and so you'll have some practitioners physical therapists acupuncturists where they won't really retain the needles um in the patient once they're inserted um and then you'll have practitioners like me and most chinese medicine practitioners um in traditionally anyway have have put the needles in wound them a little bit to elicit that winding response and and left them in for anywhere from five to 30 minutes. And there's a lot of randomized trials supporting that. So, so that's what I do is I, I leave the needle in for at least five minutes. Um, but some, some don't, they, they've trained, been trained more in a trigger point pistoning sort of thing where they, where they put the needle in, insert it a few times up and down into uh, where they believe a trigger point is located, try to create a muscle twitch response, and then they take them out. So you will get a wide uh, range of, of, of how practitioners treat uh, with with needles, which is something that would be, you know, which hopefully research is going to, going forward, kind of tamp, figure out and, and tamp down uh, on some of that variability because we'll hopefully learn what is a more optimal way to uh, to treat a patient. But uh, to me, the randomized trials are, are pretty clear and, and my, my clinical experience as well has been has been better for the idea that um putting the needles in and leaving them for five to ten minutes uh is uh is gets a better effect than just in and out sort of uh sort of thing so so that's the way i i do it i i do some trigger point pistoning as well so for a patient coming in yeah they, they they may have some discomfort uh with the needle insertion kind of depends on how sensitive they are to needles and, uh, and such. But, uh, for the most part, most people say, Oh, that wasn't as bad as I was expecting. You know, they, they come in and some trepidation about, you know, needle insertion and, and getting injections. But like you said, the, the gauge of the needle is so small that, um, that same sort of, uh, tearing and sensitivity of, of the needle insertion is, is uh is pretty low to almost non-existent for some people so yeah that makes a ton of sense i mean i look at it as uh and i I think you proved a really great point is based on the the patient's presentation you'll actually get to determine what is going to be the best option is it going to be leaving the needle in for a longer period of time or is it going to be something like a pistoning to me it seems like when you're doing say a, a pistoning technique um, the nervous system is a little uh, less hyperactive. So that's where we can apply a little bit more of a stimulus that way. Um, and it seems as if you leave a needle in, it's a little bit more gentle. So for someone whose nervous system or is a little bit more on edge, you create, a, a, a in a way, a safer space for these people to take the needles in. And I remember when I took my certification uh, back in 2016, before we actually even put the needle in someone else, they actually instructed in how to put the needle on our own arm. And I was pretty trepidatious myself. And it was really exciting mm-hmm. to be able to put the needle in and say, oh, it actually is not bad at all. 
um, actually right. didn't feel like anything. Yeah. So that was a really, really um, exciting uh, thing and actually allowed me to to really um, implement and, and learn those skills together. And I find that there's a ton of value in what dry needling can provide. So let's talk about the value and how it actually applies to um, people and patients who are actually experiencing sciatic pain. So if you're working with someone who says, I've been having these radiating symptoms from the back down to my leg, what are some of the things that you would look for as a dry needling practitioner that would actually help you determine whether or not this person would be a candidate for dry needling? Well, in general, uh, I would say needling and, well, maybe lots of manual therapies work best when when pain is, is a bit more localized, um, meaning that, you know, there's kind of one spot where, where it hurts more. Now, with sciatic pain, you don't necessarily get that, but what you can get is noticeable irritation. A lot of people have heard of the piriformis muscle. And so in that area where that sciatic nerve passes along, uh, that area can be noticeably tender on, on folks. And when, when they have uh, tenderness there that's easily distinguishable and pretty well localized, and, and that is coupled with sciatic pain, that would definitely be an, an indication to me that, that, um, that needling could be noticeably helpful here. It uh, doesn't have to be necessarily that way. Um, there are other... There's a lot of different presentations, as I'm sure you've gone over in your channel, uh, of sciatica. You've got back pain with it or back pain without it. You've got some people with sciatic pain just down the back of their thigh. Then you've got others with it radiating all the way down into their leg and foot. So you got kind of a, a lot of different presentations that, that can all kind of get bundled into the sciati sciatica. Um, but, um, yeah, but that would be, you know, one certain indication of, of me wanting to, to put a needle in is, is if they've got that localized pain um, in, the, in the butt cheek area. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, and that's, you know, kind of part of their sciatic pain presentation. Like I said, it doesn't have to be that. Um, but, um, but yeah, that, that is definitely something I look for. Okay. So, yeah, we're looking at more, like, we'll say we're looking at more localized areas. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Irritation of piriformis, um, even irritation of the the spinal muscles. I remember when I was getting my certification years ago, we were talking about how can you actually um, address some of the paraspinals in which they could actually be either hyperactive or underactive, and being able to, yeah. to insert a needle into those paraspinals can actually Absolutely, lead to some yeah. really mm -hmm. cool changes. And that can all yeah. be part of it because, yeah, I, I'm a big fan of treating along the anatomical chain there and so yeah paraspinals the nerve roots that, that come out from the vertebrae and then join up to create the sciatic nerve yeah getting um stimulation um through yeah the needles even and um can be definitely yeah additive to the benefits you want to put into maybe more localized where the pain 
is presenting for the patient, but you still may want to, you know, treat uh, above uh, that sciatic nerve um, area to uh, try to help along the chain to treat potentially the root cause of of their symptoms. So, yeah, yeah, that makes a ton of sense. And so, um, piggybacking off of that, let's talk a little bit more about what people um, can ins- uh, expect from uh, from a a session um, working with a practitioner using dry needling is it where they come in and they're like oh i have this pain here and then the the practitioner comes in and just puts the needle in and it's like okay you're fix and go or is um tell us a little bit more about like what are the things leading up to the natural actual like inserting of the needle and then once you insert the needle and you establish a change what are some things that you actually tell your patients to do um to ensure that those changes last um you know between sessions yeah. Um, so I, I believe what, what should kind of occur is a good explanation, first of all, of what they could potentially feel. For me, I'm, I'm big into disclosure um, on those things and telling them, you know, the, the good and the, and the potential um, mild side effects. I mean, and then, of course, you, you discuss the... Um, other things as well, as far as mechanisms and stuff. But so once you've done that and you've established um, kind of what's driving their pain, if you believe it's from the spine or more localized into that piriformis area or uh, kind of all the way from the spine uh, down to the lower uh, part of the leg through uh, different tests, like uh, different uh, tests that physical therapists perform to try to see is it the nerve roots, is it the is it the um, spinal joints? Uh, is it more localized? So once once you've got a got a, a good uh, framework for for where you think you know the pain is presenting through and what anatomical structures are uh, the most sensitized, um, then as far as the insertion itself, I I believe it's best to the first session at least, if not first couple of sessions to. Uh, to dose them up. I talk about it in terms of like we think of medication. When a physician gives uh, patients medication, they don't generally just wham them with the full dose right away. They build them up um, to build some tolerance, get the body used to it. And I think the same should apply to needling. And so I believe the first session should be putting the needles in um, to the target area or at least superficially in the target area uh, with just two or three needles. Uh, that's what I believe is, is best because I, I, you know, it's been at least, it's probably over a hundred times now where I've been practicing and somebody's had dry needling before and they said, oh, I went for that or my friend went for that and it was so miserable the first time they, they put these needles in and I was sore for like, I was worse for like two weeks, three weeks, and I never want to do that again. Or because of my friend, I, I'm even scared to try it. And there's been many times where I've been, where I've told people, okay, well, can we try it? Perhaps, um, the, the methods that I use, I'm only going to put in a couple needles, try that every time that that's occurred. I can't say I've cured everybody in those circumstances of their pain, but I have not caused that, um, huge, um, those huge side effects of soreness and, and worsening pain 
Um, and sometimes, yeah. And many times I've been able to help people, um, and help people not, I mean, in every time I've been able to help people to not be so scared of dry needling because they thought, Oh, this is what dry needling is. I go in and I'm miserable and it just doesn't work for me. Well, I think of it now as more of they got overdosed that first session. You know, somebody went in, they took a weekend course and I did, I'm guilty of this too. Take a weekend course. You get told, okay, you put it in here, 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 wherever they have pain and stab it a bunch in there, piston. And, uh, and then, yeah, your patient comes back and, you know, some patients love that even the first go around, but some are just miserably sore. I think it's best to start with a few needles, see how their body takes to it. Um, and then, and then to build them up where you're using more, uh, more needles and getting in there deeper, but at least that first session I think is crucial to see where the body is, um, as far as its tolerance to needles. Um, and, uh, that way you don't send them, you know, running for the Hills and never wanting to come back to your clinic again. Um, uh, so yeah, two or three, um, needles without a lot of pissing, I think is the wisest course of action. And then to, to build it up from there, that way they don't have a bad effect the first time you let them know also, okay, this first time may not hit that home run for you right away. You know, it may not help at all, but we can always add some more needles next time, increase your dosage. And people tend to respond really well to that idea because a lot of them have been taking medication or have taken medication before and can kind of understand that rationale of, okay, yeah, I'm going to build up the needles. We're not going to just, you know, throw the full dose at them. Um, And so um, the second part of what you'd asked remind me what that was there was there was another piece of that that you asked not just what they experienced but yeah yeah um, well, yeah before we get into the second part i i actually really appreciate sure. um what you're talking about because um it's so easy for people to get really excited and do a ton of stuff and this is going to be um for every practitioner and also every patient who feels good upon leaving a session right they're going to be really excited and they're going to overdo it and then they're going to be like holy moly Either this didn't work for me at all, or yeah, you know, I probably did, uh, you know, did a little bit more. So I do appreciate you being able to say, let's start low and slow, and then really just establishing those expectations. And that's going to be important across yeah. not just dry needling, but for anything at all, being able to have yeah. that communication and understanding of expectations. Yeah. The second part of the question, um, Dr. Buck, was um, okay, once you, I mean, people, most, most of the time people are coming in for a little bit longer. Um, so, okay. You, they come in, they get, they get their needle, they get their needle technique, right? Um, what happens after that? Do you tell them to just go home and, and, and live on their lives? Yeah, Do you right. end up enforcing exercise? Tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah. Well, I prefer personally to, you know, if you're in a clinic that is, is doing a multimodal approach, which is great. Um, I prefer to do the exercise components uh, first, if you can, and do the dry needling at the end. Um, that isn't always feasible, and that's fine. You can do you can do it in any order, but I prefer to do the needling at the end. What I tell patients is, if you are sore later, um, use some heat on there to try to help with that. Certainly, they could use ice and and anti-inflammatories, but what I tell them is, we're trying to cause an inflammatory response here to to kickstart things, to reset uh, these processes, to get the body to, to heal a little bit better. And so um, you're going to fight against that a little bit if you're using ice or um, anti-inflammatory. So I, 
I, I tell them, you know, if you don't need to do anything, you know, don't do anything. But uh, if you're going to use anything to try to help with any soreness, I would use some heat. Um, generally, with that approach, two or three needles tends to go really well for almost everybody. Um, and so they don't even need anything. And, uh, you know, and some people get great results even from just two or three needles on, on the first visit. Um, other things, um, I have seen literature regarding the idea of trying to have people cut back for a time, two or three weeks on, uh, whatever activity seems to really flare up their symptoms, if that's possible, you know, that's not always feasible. People work, people have, you know, busy lives. And, and, and so you can't necessarily have them just shut it all down for two or three weeks, but. There is a place in that that I've seen in the literature for that idea of treating them once or twice a week for two or three weeks and um, taking a, away the painful stimuli that are happening, whether, you know, it's an at, a athlete with sports or um, at work, if, if there's some sort of modified schedule they can do. Um, but it isn't always feasible, of course. But yeah, I... I think it's it's best um, at that needle visit for 24 hours. I think it's wise to to take it relatively easy if they can. Um, so at least that 24 hours after getting that needle treatment, I do think it's wise um, to have them you know, try to try to cut back, use some heat if needed. But generally, things go go pretty well. Um, but yeah, that's what I would say. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and I actually do appreciate you talk about this, um, the use of exercise or even therapeutic exercise, being able to do it before, um, because in some cases, yeah, you're creating you're creating a, an actual change, um, whether it be an inflammatory response or a neurological response. We want to be able to make sure that we're able yeah. to maintain those changes, but also ensure that we're not overwhelming the system, which is why right. after your techniques, we want to be able to give it an opportunity to recover. But also if we are uh, allowing an inflammatory response to facilitate healing, we need to make sure that we let those natural processes go through. So I, I uh, really appreciate right. that, Dr. Buck. Um, and so um, you're having this and I mean, you're painting us a really vivid picture of what to expect when it goes, when, when it comes to uh, what a dry needling experience is. Um, and you were talking really a, a large part about the fact that it is a tool. And so you use your clinical decision-making to be able to determine, okay, is this person a candidate or not? And then also here's the, the designated plan. So, Dry kneeling itself can help a lot of people, but let's talk about the folks who might not necessarily be the greatest candidates for dry kneeling. Who, who wouldn't benefit from dry kneeling just based on your experience and what you've seen? The people that have, I, I would say, more struggles with it are people that, that just struggle with needles in general. I mean, having that, that uh, if somebody has a real severe phobia, to, to needling or even, you know, quite a bit of trepidation about needles. Statistically, you know, proportionally, they, they might not, um, might not do as well, but, but I, I try to utilize it on anybody. I don't want to take a treatment away from somebody that could potentially still benefit from it. Um, so, I mean, so that would be one thing that to, to consider, or at least even do less of how much you would needle one needle maybe the first time. And, um, you know, and then you've got different, uh, things that you'd want to be extra careful about if, if people have 
metal allergies, if they've got um, hardware in a certain area that you're going to try to needle into, that could you could get infected. You know, whether it be um, knee replacement or you know for sciatic pain, potentially putting it into the lower back if they've had uh, lower back fusion. Uh, all these things aren't necessarily you know, can't do type things. If they've got blood uh, clotting issues, uh, they're on blood thinners. Those are, you know, precautions, I, I would say, but still not something that necessarily you can't, um, absolutely can't do on, on, on those people. You just want to be even more cautious than you would otherwise be. Um, but yeah, I've, I've done it on, on lots of people with lots of these precautions and, and been able to help them over the years. Uh, so I, I kind of live by the idea of, I don't want to deny somebody something that could be potentially beneficial, but yeah, if, if things, if they're afraid of needles, they got blood clotting issues, um, frail skin, um, yeah, potential for infection, pregnant, those, those things are, are things where you'd want to have a good rapport with your patient and discuss with them the potential pros and, and cons. And, um, and then kind of let them decide as well. It, it always should be kind of a, you know, present them with what you think and, and then let them decide what they, what they want to do. Yeah, definitely makes sense. Um, not only are you, uh, educating the client, but also having these key considerations to make sure that you're implementing this tool safely. Um, I'm glad that right. you do that and every pr other practitioner should be doing as well. So let's talk about other practitioners. Um, right now sure. you are located out in Colorado, right? And so you have your local clinic. I would love to talk a little bit more about your local clinic as well, but the folks who might not necessarily be able to have access or even go out to Colorado to see you, what are some of the qualities, um, or yeah, what are some of the qualities that people should look for in a practitioner and what is an easy way for someone to find a dry needling practitioner who can possibly help them? Well, dry needling really has kind of taken physical therapy, orthopedic physical therapy by storm in the last five years. So lots of clinics are, are doing it. Um, I think the best way to find somebody that um, is more familiar with it is to um, is to, to call up a, a physical therapy practice and try to get an idea of when they took their training, how often they use it, um, and kind of what their treatment approach is. I think somebody should be able to, to give people, you know, easy answers on, on what they, how they go about treating with, um, needles. Uh, sometimes that's not always easy to get when you're calling a receptionist and stuff. They, they don't really know necessarily. So that's kind of tough when it comes to, you know, the actual practical application of, of that idea. But that's what, that's what I would do if I was coming. And, and that's what I do when I seek healthcare from other healthcare providers is I'm, I call up or I'm looking at their credentials that they have published on their website of, you know, when they did certain training and, and, uh, you know, how often they use it. And, uh, if, if I'm not satisfied from, from just looking at a website, I, I will call and I'll request to, I think it's a very reasonable thing for, for people to expect people to talk about their experience and how often they use it and stuff. Um, and so that would be, 
I think the best way to go about finding a practitioner, um, to help you out with, with that. Um, if they have specialty designations and, in, in um, in manual therapy, if they're a fellow of the orthopedic, um, of the American Academy of Orthopedic Manipulative Manual Physical Therapists, um, AAOMPT, uh, that's certainly an additional benefit um, because I'll be able to couple that with other manual therapies like spinal manipulation that could be really helpful for sciatica pain. Uh, but uh, yeah, that's that's how I would go about finding somebody to to do dry needling approach. Uh, and if you know, because if they've only barely taken their training a little while ago, they aren't really sure. They haven't really gotten their feet wet uh, just yet. And and so that's that's what I'd want to know. At the same time, you wouldn't want to necessarily, if you can get a hold of a phys- of a um, practitioner of any kind, and it seems like they're rooted in one way of treating and and aren't trying to be um, patient-to-patient adaptable, uh, I would say, you know, that that also wouldn't be something that I would steer towards myself. Um, I like people that realize that there's more to learn and there's always more, more and better answers out there. And so I want providers that, uh, you know, have good training, have good background, but aren't so sure of themselves that, that I think that they've just lost the ability to continue to learn. Yeah. So we're looking at, um, when you're out there searching for a provider near you, um, we're looking at proper credentials. Um, and if you have questions, give them a call and they should be able to answer, even if they have a front desk person, you can answer some of these questions for you. Maybe not necessarily yeah. clinical yeah, answer. I mean, that but, would be the, that yeah. would be how I would go about it as a, as a patient, just look at the website, see what they have to offer. Okay. If that passes your test or if it doesn't quite, I would still give them a call and, and just ask what, you know, what they're used to, how often they use it. Maybe even knowing how it takes time to, to offer a good manual, a uh, good manual therapy slash dry needling treatment too. So if they see patients every 15 minutes in their clinic coming in the door, over and over again, that may not be somebody to go to dry needling to get dry needling from because chances are they've only got five to 10 minutes to actually do the needles on you. Um, so, but yeah, if they've got some more time between patients coming in 30 to 45 minutes, that would also be something I would want um, as a practitioner as well as a patient. So, is that time to be able to work one on one with you? Otherwise, you're just going to get kind of a pretty, pretty canned treatments yeah and in addition to that having a therapist or a provider who's actually open to trying out various different things you're absolutely right when someone says i have a hammer and everything is a nail and you're presented with something that isn't requiring a hammer um it could be a waste of time but also can put you in uh make you not feel the best. And so, um, I mean, it seems like you're approaching all this stuff with an open mind. You have a clinic of your own out in Colorado. So can you tell us a little bit more about your clinic and for anyone who is either in the Colorado area or wants to reach out to you, what's the best way? Uh, yeah. So, um, the best way, uh, would be to reach out to me through my email or, or phone is, is fine too. Um, it's, uh, my email is, IMMT 5280. So IMMT 5280 
that's for the you know Colorado mile high Denver thing. Um, so IMMT5280 at gmail.com or my phone number is 303-918-6162. I, uh, yeah, I teach classes um, on this stuff, uh, manual therapy, spinal manipulation, dry needling as well. But then, yeah, during the week, I also, um, I practice part-time to, to help out the community. So, and, uh, yeah, taking new patients. So, uh, would love to, to help people out that, that hear this podcast or in the area, uh, like to come out and give it a try. Beautiful, Dr. Buck. Thank you so much for your time today. I know that we've been trying to go back and forth and trying to get this episode um, up and running. It was a long time coming. I'm so thankful again for you sharing your knowledge. And for listeners, if you didn't get a chance to actually write down his contact information, I'm actually going to be putting it in the show notes. So again, Dr. Buck, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. Appreciate it, Dr. Buck. Thank you so much for tuning in. We hope you got some help from today's podcast. And for more info, check us out at ifixyoursciatica.com. Have a fantastic and pain-free day. No patient-therapist relationship is formed by listening to this podcast. We are not providing medical advice and all information should be confirmed by a medical provider.